text this morning and turn to the book of Romans, again to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, which gives us uh, a vision and view of not only what we are, that present reality of the goodness of God, but also that which we look ahead to, that future glory that is prepared for us, that is truth for us as we are found in Jesus Christ together. And so in borrowing that which we have heard yesterday morning together in verses 1 through 11, now we continue that reading in verses 12 through 25. So then, on account of all of that, that therefore no condemnation, you are not in the flesh if the Spirit dwells in you, He will give life to you. And so in verse 12, so then, brothers, we are, not, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if, the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we humble ourselves for a a few moments before your word, Father, we recognize our fatigue, our tiredness throughout all of the joy and the blessings of holidays and get-togethers and, uh, Lord, of the busyness even of the Lord's Day rest. Father, it can be hard for us to focus in on, on you and your word. But, Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds Ready us to receive that which you have prepared for us in your providence. And Lord, would you lead us out in the joy of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, time and tide wait for no man. And certainly not living near an ocean, we tend to get rid of that part of and tide, but We continue holding on to that proverb in terms of time. Originally, those words were penned by the poet Chaucer to remind us that our moments are fleeting, that our present quickly becomes the past, that the future comes at a steady pace. And so we take time on a New Year's Day to think about these things because of 
how that time marches on. Because we so quickly get lost in the drone and monotony of time. No longer giving intentional thought to the gift of time or even to thoughts of making every second count. Time passes. Tides go in, come in, and tides go out. Another week passes by and and they all get blurry after a time as so many days seemingly look like any other day. And then the future is here. That which seems so far away at the start, and we're not ready for it to come. And so if we don't consider our days to gain that heart of wisdom, that is the progression of things. And so in knowing that progression of tide and time and life, how are we entering into the future? Have we even thought about it and readied ourselves to do that? As those, of, of those who are certainly uncertain of how much time will be afforded to us, none of us knows the number of our days or the length of them. And yet as those who are certain of what is coming in that last day and what's coming in the last day, Are we living intentionally unto the Lord in each moment as those who have been redeemed, who have been given a hope and given a future? That in the moments that he gives us, are we seeking him in all of them, knowing who we are as he remakes us in his image, looking ahead, trusting that he will bring about everything that he's promised and that he will make all things beautiful in his time. The group Wren Collective sings of this in this way. My future hangs on this. You make preciousness from dust. Please don't stop creating me. That there is a work that the Lord needs to continue to do in us in this coming year. Or perhaps you resonate with it more clearly as you hear this familiar hymn. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Will we be committed to that? To living each moment in that intention, in that direction, in that assurance of a future given by a triune God in faith. That's the call for us as we enter this new year together. We enter into a certain future following the triune God as those intentionally living a moment-by-moment faith in hope. We enter into a certain future following the triune God as those intentionally living a moment-by-moment faith in hope. And that life lived into that certain future before the presence of that triune God in the grace of Christ is one of obligation in verses 12 and 13. It is one of adoption in verses 14 through 17. And certainly then in terms of hope, it is one of expectation in verses 18 through 25. But there's an obligation, which seems a funny word when you've just heard a sermon on Sunday morning that talks about freedom. And those two words then seem very contradictory to us. If I am free, then I have no obligations, but I would say to you, congregation, the blessing of your obligation is found in that freedom. And so it would follow, if we are considering a certain and sure, secure future in the Lord, 
it would lead us to live a clear testimony of that same Lord, of our submission to his word, of our thanks for his kingdom and his righteousness, simply of our love for him, that longing for worship. Out of, we pray, a heart of love for him. We are thankful to meet with you. And so by grace alone, by belonging to Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit, we have, as we say in Lord's Day 1, been made wholeheartedly ready from now on to live for him, willing and ready to live for him. But how has that been afforded to us? It's been given at a great price. The blood of Jesus Christ has fully paid for all my sins and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And so we're debtors, even in our confession, but more importantly, by the Word of God, to mercy alone, to Christ alone, obligated by way simply of our belonging. And yet that obligation is the sweetest one, because it is our blessing and our freedom. And that's the point now that Paul pivots to in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. You could translate that word, we are obligated obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And when we listen to that, well, what happened to the first 11 verses? Why why haven't we found our hearts there? Why, Why isn't that life of freedom what we long for? You see, we haven't been bought, saved, delivered, made new to give ourselves to sin. To give ourselves to every form of unrighteousness. To give ourselves to sin or Satan or self. No one should desire to enslave themselves again. You're set free. You are not obligated to those things, but to better things. And yet how contradictory, Murray writes, to yield our obedience and service to that which the Holy Spirit has emancipated us. That isn't us. Those things aren't us. Our obligation is to Christ, to intentionally living for Him and in Him and to Him. We give ourselves and our lives in every moment to thankfulness and holiness and obedience. Yes, because that's our obligation, but more, that is our life. That is our joy. That is our privilege. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, hear it, you will live. In that is life. And yet that intentionality calls you to an activity. Don't enslave yourselves again, but rather give yourself wholly and only to a life of faith in the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. With Him you are called to put things that lead to death to death. And I recognize that that becomes the stuff of resolutions, right? I don't want to do these things anymore. I don't want to be given to these anything. I don't want to be resolved just to that. I want to put an end to that and not just wait another 365 to say the same thing that I'm not going to do anything about. If you are resolved to something, then let's do that. 
in the calling and activity, equipped, empowered, and accompanied by the Holy Spirit as one who is obligated to Christ in everything. It's Paul's command in Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to live for those things. And Paul says, put it to death. Stop chasing the things of the flesh. Stop enslaving yourself and bringing debt upon yourself in terms of those things. You've been set free. You've been washed. You've been delivered. You used to live for those things, but no longer as one who's been given life. And a life forever by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So live out of that obligation. Again, it is sweet. Live out of that obligation. Show your thanks for it. For that is your task and calling. An obligation that speaks of the reality of why that is ours And that's because of the greatest gift, that of adoption, and that in the second place. For while obligation speaks of your life and intentional calling, your adoption speaks of your family and your identity. It's amazing that who you are is one made part of the family of God matters. How you live that in obligation matters, but that's bred out of the sweetness of I belong. I've been made his child. To live that and to live that kind of way demands intentionality and faith. I mean, if you think about being family today, I mean, how intentional we have to be, right? We get older and it would just be easier to stay home by ourselves and not have to try to plan something and have all the food and gather everybody and have those conversations. and It'd just be easier to be by ourselves. It takes intentionality to be family. How much more within the family of God? To intentionally be about what he calls us to together, to be found in unity in it, to be building each other up, bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. And so that's the intentionality he speaks of in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So out of that identity is a reminder of that obligation, of that privilege of living. And the Spirit is working by way of faith in us to make us know that Son of God, that we are sons and daughters of God because He is the Son. And so we rejoice in His person and in His incarnation that this is certainly an appropriate Christmas text. And why is that? Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, we rush right to salvation and say that is the greatest of the gifts that God has given to us. And certainly we're right in terms of guilt removed, sin atoned for. But I am all the more thankful for that adoption. For all of the privileges of being his child are now mine. That he didn't leave me alone and say, now that you're free. No, he said, I give you an obligation more. I give you a space at my table. I've restored fellowship. 
The blessing, that blessing, is what he lived and died and rose again for. So we could receive him and live in him and walk by faith in him. That all of my rights and privileges in this life are afforded by way of that identity. By way of that gift found in him. For as it says in John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Grace has been given you to be a child of God. That part of his family is your blessing, but it's also your confidence. And that's what we have to be intentionally thinking about as we enter into a new year, as we enter every day. That that place in his family grants to us a boldness to live for him. Not in fear and certainly not by placing your trust in anything other than him. By way of that blessing, he says, what is yours is a life of faith. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. To keep rushing back to what was. To keep living for those things. That's not why you've been saved. That's not why you've been granted the Holy Spirit so you can be a Christian and do whatever you still. No, you have a place in his family. And you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And again, there's always that tear for us as fathers where we look at our children sometimes and wonder if, if our relationship with them might be more based on fear. They fear that we would punish them or take something away or, or not be who we're called to be rather than Abba, nearness, daddy, father. But that's what he's given to us. And in so doing, he gives us a guarantee of what? In terms of that context of there is therefore now no condemnation, you have a guarantee of, his, of an eternal place in his family. Oh, but I'm going to screw that up. I'm going to mess that up. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not going to be sent away from his table. He is not going to revoke the salvation that he's given you. That's freedom. Which brings us before again that blessed obligation. That I am obligated to a life lived in prepared good works that will give testimony that I am not a child by way of the law or my own obedience, but through faith alone. Jesus is the basis of my adoption. Jesus is the basis, the reason, the standing why I will always have a seat near to the Father. Jesus is that Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, as though he is saying to us who are so easy to condemn ourselves, I will speak my name through you. I will keep calling out to me because I want you to call to me. Because that is your privilege. That is your joy. Your adoption is the ultimate show of the Father's love. And what have we seen? 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, 
And so we are. The Spirit works this. He brings us in love and confidence to the call of the Father and the trust and blessing that belongs to His children. That when we call out to the Father by faith for the care and compassion that belongs to His children, we know we will have it. And when we're tempted to doubt this, the Spirit testifies to the truth. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That each and every moment as we are living by faith, that is what he is testifying to. Child of God, child of God, chosen and precious to him. A reality that isn't going to be taken away. And if children, then heirs. That again, it's not just a present but there's something to come. Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He is our brother. Our part in the family of God in Christ Jesus leads us intentionally to live moment by moment faith in promises that are yes and amen in Him, in our brother. We're heirs, as it says in Galatians 3.29, according to promise, a promise guaranteed to one, to us, to those who are adopted and made family forever. But that's a call. That is a call for us to an intentional life. Yes, of obligation, but as one living openly and boldly as a brother of Christ. A brother of Christ. I am a a man with three younger sisters. My sister right under me, 14 months to the day, younger than I am. And she thought it was funny when we moved to, to talk about the fact that we weren't family, right? That I was adopted in as though this was some sort of, of dig. She was trying to distance herself from me. And what I would have rather had was someone who stood with me. Those times were difficult enough. Don't worry, I've already talked to her about the story, so we're not outing anything. But that wonder of the one of having a brother or having a sister who stands with us. That in all of the difficulties and struggles that will come, we don't meet them by ourselves. And I think that's the blessing that's found in being a fellow heir with Christ. That is, Christ is seated on the right hand of the throne. He intercedes for us. And he says, I never leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. And I'm going to meet the life that's coming in this coming year with you as well. And why is that important? Because this kind of life that we're going to live in the next year brings suffering. And so in being brought into this family, I would love to tell you that there would be none of that in this new year. (laughs) That there would be no problems and no sorrow and no hurts. But if there was none of that in this new year, there would be no hope of glory either. And so the blessing of his being near to us, of our identity, of that intention in that adoption are ours, provided we suffer with him 
in order that we might be glorified with him. And so he says, I'm going to be with you. Are we going to be with him? Are we going to fight for our older brother and with him? Because that adoption always places the promise before us, one we must live out in his spirit in relation to the Father in Christ. And that's a call for your everything. The obligation is everything, Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing my brother. For knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish, garbage, dung, refuse, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that life, the blessing, and remember that and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's why we strain and we push and we run and we walk and we crawl and whatever other action that will be required of us because we know we're his children and always will be. That we are heirs to a glorious inheritance and always will be. That calls us to an intentional life of faith dying to sin, living to God, persevering in thanks for that adoption, knowing that he will preserve us in it. And if that's the case, we know what will be ours. Revelation 21, 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. So the wonder of knowing that obligation and adoption in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is that it leads us to a life of expectation and that in the close. Because that's now, as you've turned over that new planner and are ready to crack that thing open and go, expectation. It's our expectation because time and tide wait for no man. The future is coming. The promises have come true and will all come true glory has been seen and known by us, it will be known by us, and it will be given to us by God that we might give it to him in the last day. And the blessing of that truth allows us to live moment and moment, even through that suffering, in gratitude and longing and faith. Why? How? Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We will suffer in a new year, but our freedom and obligation and adoption known in Christ by his spirit will always assure us of what's ours now and what's to come so that we might not only endure in this life, but we might rejoice in it. I know what's coming. I know how it ends. And it's the repeated call of God's word. If you need some things to think about, life verses for the year to come, Romans 5, 3 to 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We want that glory and that mandates then for us suffering. You can't have one without the other. And yet we expect suffering and afflictions to work that expectation in us. An expectation for what is to come that we would continue to walk forward day after day after day in thanks. Praying all the while, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Please come quickly. And we're not alone in that longing, are we? Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation cursed in Adam longs for restoration, groans for it, yet it does so in hope. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now. Even the stuff that he has made is crying out, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As beautiful as those sunsets are, as abundant as those harvests are, it is still all crying out at the glory of God, come again, Lord Jesus. Groaning not just for the end of brokenness, but for the ushering in a full redemption and restoration, for the reversal promised in that one who will have the The wolf and the lamb lie down together in Isaiah 11. That world order of peace that will come. And if the creation is groaning and waiting in that way, why aren't we? Why isn't that our heart, our longing? Why are we so enamored with shiny things and things that fade, spoil, and perish? We ought to be waiting expectantly and longing for the same. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That takes an intentional life. I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm not going to fill my mind with all of those other things because I am focused Focused on the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Focused on that which is promised. My life will give testimony. I have received it. I have been made new. But I long for more. I long for the fulfillment of all things. Not living for the world and its brokenness, but for a Savior who loved me and gave himself for me and gave his spirit to dwell in me that I will have it. I want to see the day where I'm fully made new. And he will make all things new. It's the fulfillment we long for in Revelation 21. 
Then I saw new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. But that's not here yet. And so we're going to enter into the rest of a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. As many days that end in the word day as the Lord will give to us. And we will groan in the desire and expectation to have it. And not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who have been given the best of all of that harvest in the Spirit, the best of His power, the best of His presence, the best of everything it is to have God dwelling in us, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, an adoption that we know that we are longing for in full, a redemption of our bodies that won't be rend from spirits anymore, but will be brought together gloriously for ever. And you're like, what a downer message on the first day of the year that you are calling us in 2024 to groan. Come on, bro. Groan? We groan, which confirms to us and assures to us again and again and again and again that we have hope. That this isn't all there is. That there is something better. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on that heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. That what is mortal might be swallowed up in life. And he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And that ought to be enough not only to say we will groan in this year, but we will live intentionally, moment by moment in faith. And not in some self-punishment kind of way, like, you know what, everybody just have a stiff upper lip or suck it up buttercup. But no, we will groan even in those moments, longing for something better, for the fullness of consummation and renewal and restoration and glory, because our expectation is hope. And so in whom is your hope? In what is your hope? What is the desire of your hope? It should be the fullness of salvation. To have it all. Every bit of it. That's what we hold. For in this hope we are saved. We were saved. We are saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11. The conviction of things not seen, but, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we do so with patience, with long-suffering. And so what is our future in Jesus Christ? Again, I'm giving you a great marching order. You know what? Go into the new year groaning and waiting. Praise God. Groaning and waiting. But not passively. But in the reality and the possession of what is yours in union and communion with Jesus. In the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. In the love of a good Good, good Father. And so as time and tide wait for no man, we will make every second of it count in living out the truth of our obligation and adoption and expectation to the glory of his name. And we can do that because we know he holds the future And life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this word that leads us into this year in a very realistic way. We're going to groan, Father. We're going to wait for you. We're going to suffer with you and for you. But none of that is worth comparing to the future glory that is ours in you. And so, Father, let us not keep living passively. Let us not keep living without an expectation, without an intention. But day by day, moment by moment, Father, may we live boldly out of that faith of the assurance that we are your sons, that your son will always stand with us, and that your spirit will always indwell us. And so, Father, may that be our message, may that be our joy, may that be our privilege, we pray, for Jesus' sake, amen.